sounded great up here. Good morning to you. I'm Nate. Um, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm super excited to get to share this message with you today. And I'm super excited that the first half of the service uh, went really well. That's always um, a hard spot to be in because it's like either you're going to ruin what just went well or you're going to be able to uh, step into it and hopefully um, the Lord continues to do what he's doing in our midst. And so um, as we go through the talk today, uh, my encouragement to you would be uh, to try and capture what grabs your attention, to try and capture um, what God might be highlighting to you, and to capture it in a way that you can go back to it later, uh, because there's going to be an exercise that I'm going to challenge you with at the end of the talk um, that it may be that God is bringing to the surface and actually an easy way for you to step into that exercise. So you could note it on your bulletin, you could make a memo in your phone, whatever that is. Um, but I do believe this morning that God has good for us, and uh, if we have the ears to hear it, I think it'll be exciting. So let me pray for us as we step in. So Lord, um, would you help us to lower our resistance to you even now? And so you've lavished us with generosity, with grace, with mercy, even while we were dead in sin, you died for us, you rescued us, and you long for us to be a part of your kingdom and the way that it is advancing. And so, uh, Lord, would you give us ears to hear from you this morning, hearts that are able to receive, minds that are able to imagine, stir up that hopefulness that's already been talked about. And so we don't want to direct you, but we want to respond to your direction. And so, uh, Holy Spirit, we say, uh, you have freedom. You have freedom to move. Help us in our resistance. I'm praying in Christ's name, amen. We've been in a series called Relent, which has been inviting us to participate in Lent in the weeks leading up to Easter, and specifically to engage in practices that lower our resistance to God's work. We've been using a book called In the Name of Jesus by Henry Nouwen. It's an amazing read if you haven't read it yet. And we've been using that as a guide for this series. And so today's talk, I'm going to be focusing on Matthew chapter 4. So if you have your scripture, you want to open it to Matthew chapter 4. And specifically looking at the third temptation that Jesus experienced, and that it is a temptation of power. So how many of you recognize the Flaming Lips song during the connection time? Perfect, only me. Oh, and Norm, very nice, very nice. I played that for the two of us. Uh, but the temptation to power and the allure the misguided, deceptive allure of power. So let's get into the scripture. Matthew chapter 4 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. 
And the tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And this we looked at as the temptation to be relevant. The temptation to be relevant. Continuing verse five, then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, on the other hand it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And this was the second temptation, the temptation of popularity, the temptation of being spectacular. And then into verse eight. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things I'll give you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. So here we find in the text this third temptation of Jesus, and it's a temptation of power. The statement that the enemy says is, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world and all the glory, all the splendor, if only you will bend the knee and worship me. Power, the allure of power. Now and said, when I ask myself the main reason for so many people having left the church, the word power easily comes to mind. One of the greatest ironies of the history of the Christian church is that its leaders constantly gave in to the temptation of power. Political power, military power, economic power, moral power, and spiritual power, even though they continued to speak in the name of Jesus who did not cling to his divine power, but emptied himself and became as we are. The allure of power is in direct opposition to the character of Jesus. Most of us are thirsty for power, and we don't even recognize it. We sublimate it or we disguise it, and we call it doing well. We're doing well. All the time that I've put in, I'm doing well. All the work that I've put in, I'm doing well. I deserve to go from Ferndale to Warren to Royal Oak, right? Like, I, I did, that's, that's part of the reward of doing well, of putting time in. The problem is, is that this is a disguise of what we would call upward mobility. So if we define social mobility as this, the ability of individuals or groups to move upward 
or downward in status based on wealth, occupation, education, or some other social variable, then focusing on the upward would mean this, that the decisions that we make, how, what we will exercise control over, we want that to benefit us. Uh, the wealth that we have, we want that to benefit us. The occupation that we choose, how we move within that company, the positions that we'll take, our education, our home, where we live, how we treat our neighbors, we want that to benefit us. What social group we'll spend time with, we want that to benefit us. And if we follow this theory, it's called living up and to the right. Up and to the right. So every decision that we're making, where we're making investments, we want them to move us up and to the right. Make sense? Sound familiar? <laughs> Thank you for nodding your head. Here's the deal. We get more power, we think, we get more power as that growth curve goes up and to the right. And I'm sorry to tell you this morning, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus resisted the temptation of power, and instead, Jesus modeled a radical downward mobility. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 2. You want to throw that text up, Kelly? So here's Jesus. Oh, not with that color. Here's Jesus. And as you read the text, it says, Therefore, if any, if any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So have this same attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross.
It's a downward mobility. Raising our resistance to power is actually lowering our resistance to the invitation to love like Jesus. Raising our resistance to power is actually lowering our resistance to the invitation to be like Jesus. Now instead, we keep hearing from others as well as saying to ourselves that having power, provided it is used in the service of God and your fellow human beings is a good thing. Yeah? We've heard that. We've probably agreed with it. We've probably challenged God and said, let me run the country. I would do a better job, right? Give me the wealth. I would disperse it to people who needed it. Now it says, but it's, it's with this exact rationalization that the Crusades took place. Inquisitions were organized. Native Americans were enslaved. Positions of great influence were desired, so they built Episcopal palaces and splendid cathedrals and opulent seminaries. We will always see a major cause of rupture in the power exercised by those who claim to be followers of the poor and powerless Jesus and yet live up and to the right. Amen? <laughs> That's rough. I'm glad the first half of the service made you guys feel good. <laughs> it's true. Here's the problem. We leave behind anyone that we don't think will benefit us if we subscribe to this life. We'll choose our friendships based on who we think can get us further. We'll choose jobs based on that. We'll choose where we're gonna live. We'll choose what kind of house we're gonna have. We'll choose whether or not we're gonna be involved in our schools. We'll choose whether or not we're gonna visit people in the hospital. We'll choose whether or not we're gonna be engaged with our kids. The problem is this, all throughout the scriptures, God says, I dwell with the lowly. I dwell with the lowly. I love the lowly. I'm generous to the lowly. I'm gracious with my time towards the lowly. So the bottom line is this, the temptation of power and of upward mobility is irresistible because it's easier. It's easier to live up and to the right. It's way more comfortable. Power is an easy substitute for the hard task of loving. It's easier to control people than to love people. And all the parents in the room say, amen. amen. You know what I'm talking about. Jesus asked the question of Peter, do you love me? The disciples asked the question, can we sit at your right and left hand in the kingdom? 
The disciples are saying, if we walk with you and follow you, how far up and to the right will that take us? <laughs> my brother could be on the left, I can be on the right. And Jesus is saying, my, my concern is do you love the sheep? Do you love my flock? Nowen said the long painful history of the church is this history of people ever again tempted to choose power over love, control over the cross, and being leaders over being led. There's a real allure to control. We accept this idea that a fully mature person is in control of their life. Not only that, we would expect that a fully mature person has influence and even control over others. So that text that keeps coming back, when Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, when you were young, you extended your hand, you put on your own belt. But when you will be mature, you will extend your hand and someone else will put that on and will lead you to places that you don't want to go. We hear that text, and that's a disturbing text. Because up and to the right means as soon as I hit maturity, right, that's the pinnacle. That's the best situation. Problem is, the pinnacle of Jesus ended on a cross. The pinnacle of Peter ended in execution. Those storylines don't jive. What's interesting to me is that Jesus' challenge to Peter was a challenge to imitate what Jesus himself would do. And it sounds quite similar to Jesus' story of downward mobility. So uh, coming, coming to terms with this, seeing a long game storyline come together in our family, um, for our family, we have sensed Jesus' invitation into downward mobility by entering the foster, the foster care system. So, aside from getting to hang out with exceptionally beautiful children of God, there's nothing that benefits us <laughs> being part of the foster care system. And We've learned more than ever in the last three years, we have no control in that system. If God had given us the full story of our most recent foster son, Zay, that we would care for him for 14 months and treat him as we treat our own children and raise him and fall in love with him and literally breathe life into him when he stopped breathing. That after 14 months of that, that we would be a part of reuniting him to his blood family and then to undergo separation and silence and the greatest grief that our family has ever 
endured, we would never would have signed up for it. That is not the up and to the right life that we would like. Our family was having fun before we became a foster home. <laughs> we hid the problems, right? <laughs> People weren't crying at dinner all the time. We would not have chosen the cross. The cross is too painful. It's too crushing. And in that situation, we would have chosen power over love. And yet, had we chosen power or control over Jesus' invitation into the downward mobility of the cross, we would have missed out on learning this, that God meets us in the deepest, darkest, most intimately broken places. And he wants to love us in that space. And he wants to help us to know that God's presence is even there. God's presence is even there in the things that we can't control, in the hurts that we would never wish on our enemies. Here's the, here's the thing that I'm starting to realize is that whatever ends in a cross means there's gonna be some type of death, that something is gonna be sacrificed. And that as we follow Jesus, Jesus will lead us where we don't want to go. And I love that Henry Nouwen writes this book and what's so beautiful about it is that he not only teaches the idea of downward mobility, but he models it in his life. After nearly two decades of teaching at academic institutions, including the University of Notre Dame, Yale Divinity School, Harvard Divinity School, Nowen left to live and work with individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities at the La Arch Daybreak community. Harvard. <laughs> Lay Arch. Esteemed, celebrated guest speaker all around the world. Now and left Harvard to serve and to be a priest amongst intellectually challenged and disabled individuals. The way of the Jesus follower is not the way of the upward mobility in which our world has invested so much. The way of the Jesus follower is the way of downward mobility, resisting the allure of power and of control. And this is what I've found, that the downward moving way of Jesus is the way of joy and peace of God. And it's a joy and it's a peace that are not of this world. 
is not the absence of pain. It's God's presence in the pain. There's a joy and there's a peace that exists in surprising places of poverty and simplicity and brokenness. So Paul said, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And now and said it this way, he says, when I entered my community with mentally handicapped people and their assistance, all control fell apart. He says, and I came to realize that every hour, day, and month was full of surprises, often surprises that I was least prepared for. Because when people have little intellectual capacity, they let their hearts, their loving hearts, their angry hearts, their longing hearts speak directly and often unadorned. And without realizing it, the people I came to live with at Lay Arch made me aware of the extent to which my leadership was still a desire to control. That's heavy. I'm well aware that many of us in the room would consider ourselves lowly and that we would consider ourselves broken and that we would consider ourselves in that space of needing the needy place. And so for those of you that are in that space, I give you permission to be done with the sermon. Because the Lord has made the promise that he dwells with the lowly. And so let me just affirm you. The Lord dwells with you. The Lord dwells among the lowly. You're loved, you're beloved. For those that are not in that space, what is the way of downward mobility for you? There may be a name that comes to mind where the Lord has been inviting you to take time with someone who will not further you up and to the right. What is the way of downward mobility for you? You may be considering a job promotion that's going to pull you away from your family. You're going to lose that time with your kids. What's the way of downward mobility for you? Are there people and relationships that you have disregarded or avoided because they don't move you farther up and to the right? How much control do you need? Are you not able to engage with your kids because they don't play right? Is any day in your week spent among those that challenge your control? 
And how's that going for you? Here's the big question. Are you willing to resist control or power in favor of love? So I have an exercise, a way of practicing resistance to power, and this is what I would call it. I would call it the practice of presence. So we only have a few weeks left till Easter. But for the rest of Lent, here's my challenge to you. Look for opportunities to spend time with those that cannot take you up into the right. The word cannot comes from your perspective of them. The word cannot comes from the judgment that you have made about their worthiness of your time. Because here's the thing that I've found. Surprisingly, in my weeks, some of the best times that I have are with people who I would consider cannot take me up into the right. And it's been surprising to me to realize that God's presence in those conversations and in those relationships may actually, may actually be more authentic than the relationships that I think are moving me up and to the right. So practice with me refusing upward mobility, embrace the idea of downward mobility that will end on, on a cross, the lonely, the weak, the powerless, the sick, the poor, the marginalized, children, elderly, unemployed, the challenged, those that are alienated. But here's the key. When you are with them, when you're with them, invite the Spirit of God to form in you the mind of Christ. Invite the Spirit of God to form in you the mind of Christ. Because he did not cling to power, but he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He didn't compete with others. He wasn't trying to control every, as every aspect of every moment in every environment. So breathe in and breathe out and allow your schedule to be disrupted. Allow your plans to be moved. Allow your time to be unproductive. You have permission to lose time, quote unquote. Look to place yourself intentionally in relationship for the benefit of favoring love over power and over control. And I think the, the invitation is followed with the promise. And this is Isaiah 57. It says this, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. And we would say, yes, you do, Lord. We've sung about it all morning. And also with him who is of a contrite 
and lowly spirit. Why? To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Let me pray. So, Lord, you've got, you've got influence over us. You've got influence over our hearts, even in this moment. So do the thing only you can do. Invite us, invite us to go with you. So, Father, I ask for um, divine inspiration for names and images and visions and dreams that would set us loose, that we would run after the lowly to dwell with you there, and that we would encounter you in a completely different way. You know our hearts, you know our intentions. So speak. We trust you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.